This is the Tomato Tomato Podcast. This is a film podcast about movies and the way that they're reviewed. I'm your co-host, Chris. I'm your other co-host, Jenna. Hi, Jenna. Hi. We sound very, like, NPR-like right now. No, if that was true, I would be whispering into the mic softly. Today, we are going to be talking about the We're going to be playing with jazz, played over jazz. Jazz. No, jizz. Talking about... <laughs> Jizz music. I love jizz music so much. <laughs> I'm surprised that you were not the one to make that joke because I know how much you love jizz music. Just like it's the my favorite genre of music. <laughs> Mine too. Like honest to God. But and for anyone, yeah. like it's a, it's an actual thing. Look it up on Wikipedia. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> oh, I was thinking. I was like, what music should we put in the intro for this? And I feel like it should just be the gen the general Star Wars theme. But I also kind of wish want the end theme to be the Paul F. Tompkins, Scott Ackerman. Yes. I'm gonna stop before I do the whole thing. I know, but I'm like, I'm, that might end up being the end music for this because Sorry. reasons. So if you're reasons. listening to this, you have that to look forward to at the end of this episode. So yeah. So if you don't read episode titles or descriptions, or if you don't recognize that jizz music is a thing from a particular thing, <laughs> then you, you we will let you know that today we're kind of doing a weird hybrid sort of episode. It's not really a tomato harvest, and it's not really a full episode. It's kind of in between. So, but today we're going to be kind of looking back at the rest or the all of these films in the Star Wars franchise as a way to kind of prepare for the Last Jedi, and we're going to use their scores on Rotten Tomatoes and their reception on Rotten Tomatoes as kind of a jumping-off point to talk about that. Yes. So uh, we'll link it in the description, uh, but Rotten Tomatoes has ranked all of the movies yes. uh, by tomato meter, not by release. Yeah. So, so we hadn't, how do we want to do this? Do we just want to start from number eight down? I would say yes, because it kind of serves as this countdown, but then it also just kind of, I think it, I think that's kind of, a, a good way to start the discussion yeah that's why we end on a high note yes exactly yeah so um no surprise what the first one is yeah i'm like if you had to guess <laughs> i almost wanted to just like have me have this article and not have you read it and just have you guess what what <laughs> ranking they were and i'm sure you, i'm absolutely positive that you would have gotten this one correct oh it's, i would hope so yeah the lowest rated film in the Star Wars franchise based off of the tomato meter is of course Star Wars episode one, the Phantom Menace. Released so, in 1999 at yes. 55%. Yeah. So if you go to the actual, like we won't really look at the reviews for each movie, but we'll, we're kind of just going to look at the general like tomato page for each movie. So it has an average rating of six out of 10 with 216 reviews. There's 119 fresh and 97 rotten. And the critical consensus is burdened by exposition and populated with stock characters, The Phantom Menace gets the Star Wars prequels off to a bumpy, albeit visually dazzling, start. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, the mindset of this movie when uh, Return of the Jedi came out, what, 89, 88? I don't remember. 83. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, that's a good time in between movies. Yeah. There is a hunger for this. Yes. Granted, there was the uh, 
extended cuts, altered cuts in the, between. The like Topher Grace cut. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so people really wanted this. The expectations were super high. And... I, yeah, it's it's such a weird flashpoint in pop culture because it feels like the pinnacle sort of thing. And like you see it now to a certain extent of people being really optimistic about a franchise movie and then they go to see it and then they're disappointed. But that was, this was like the first major instance of it of like, Oh my God, it's another Star Wars movie. This is going to be amazing. All these people camped out and went there for the midnight showing. And then they were like Jar Jar and pod racing. And I mean, admittedly the pod racing is the best part of the movie. I mean, I remember that um, people bought tickets to see the trailer in the theaters because it was attached to a certain movie and they left before the movie. Wow. Like they just wanted to see the trailer. (laughs) Oh my God. That's how intense it was. That, wow. I'm surprised that's still not a thing right now. I totally thought that that was- Well, this was, you gotta remember, this is like pre, pre- Oh yeah, pre-YouTube. So it's like, you can't really just watch it online. Because I think the, I think the biggest like nerd outlet at the time was like, ain't it cool? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's like a, pile of garbage now um <laughs> but but even then like there weren't really video capabilities online no. like you could this was the only yeah way to see it. you had to pony up what eight bucks at the time that's crazy i like did not even think about that about how this yeah. would be like the only way to see the trailer that's insane I forget, I forget what movie it was attached to but yeah people just bought tickets to see the trailer and that was it wow I'm going to look that up and figure out what movie it was. There's, that there's whole, like, you can find like news reports, like news anchors were out inside, out, out in front of movie theaters, just interviewing people. It's like, so you really did this? And it's like, yeah, it's fucking Star Wars. Oh, it says that it was Meet Joe Black. That's a weird movie to throw that into. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah, because it says that media, the media reported that people were paying full admission at theaters just to see the trailer. To keep fans from leaving before the movie was over, some theaters played the teaser an additional time after the film finished. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. Yeah, it's like, it, this, this movie is such a flashpot in pop culture, both for that and then, like I said, for the opening release thing, because it was, like, people, it was kind of the first major instance of, like, midnight showings and sort yes. of thing, kind of predating, like, Harry Potter and Hunger Games and Twilight and all of the way that that actually, like, became a popular thing that it is now but it's like all these people waited for forever and then this was what they got <laughs> yeah because i remember going back to like newscasts and stuff uh, like people would interview fans coming out of the movie and it's like oh what did you think and they would have this look on their face like they were <laughs> trying to convince themselves that they loved it but you could tell they did it and it's like yeah i'm gonna see it a couple more times <laughs> it's like this is my third time seeing it i, I love it and i you think can see that they don't it's like that that gif of the news report of like the little boy and he like is laughing and then or like smiling and oh, then yes. crying. That's totally what I'm picturing. Like that's exactly the kind of reaction. So have you ever seen the movie Fanboys? Uh yes. Yes, I have. So that was the whole movie about like uh the one guy has cancer and he's dying and he's not gonna see this movie. Yeah. And so they like break into the Lucas Ranch and then he sees it and they ask, Oh, what do you think? And he just kind of smiles. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, all of his friends are seeing it at the premiere, and they're like, "What if it sucks?" <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. Oh, That's it. But but yeah, it 
like the 55 percent is not surprising because like it's and especially as the time has kind of gone on because i think i think almost if this movie was released in a time when rotten tomatoes existed that initial tomato meter would have been way worse but i think as the reviews and that's kind of a thing that you see with all these Star Wars movies that a lot of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes are like retrospective ones that were done before The Force Awakens came out. And so I think if you had done just kind of like just the general media perception of it in 1999, it would be like a, at least like 20% lower, I would say. Oh God, yeah. Like, it, which is kind of interesting. And it, it, and it kind of makes me think of, like, would there be all these think pieces of, like... Is, there would be. Did Rotten Tomatoes kill the Star Wars franchise? Should we just well, re- would, reboot the Star Wars franchise and start all over? Like There would be, like, the bandwagon yeah. effect. There would be the apologist, the ones who stand by it thick and thin. Yeah. Yeah. Um... But, like, even then, this movie still has, like... I still, I don't hate watching it. There, there's like there's a there's a level I in, I still enjoy it. Yeah, like you and McGregor just having that be his like first foray into it. I always think is a good thing. And like honestly, my first introduction to anything Star Wars was being like six or seven years old, and my dad showing me just the pod racing sequence because he was like, "Look how cool this is," yeah. and not too complex for you to understand. <laughs> so it was kind of like, I I always think that that sequence is really cool. So well, yeah, because think about it, a lot of this movie was made for us at the time because you were six, yeah. I yeah. was a little bit older. Yeah, like. George Banks was made for us. <laughs> exactly. It was made to sell toys, yeah. merchandise, and we bought into that. Yes, absolutely. And God, I could do a whole podcast just like the case against or for Jar Jar Banks. <laughs> like, you so mean this is Laura Jar Jar Banks? Yes. <laughs> Now I'm thinking of that fan art where it's like, no, Ray, Misa, your father. <laughs> and it's Jar Jar in a Sith robe. <sighs> but but yeah, so this article from Rotten Tomatoes kind of says that um, the Phantom Menace came as a crushing disappointment to many of the filmgoers who so eagerly, eagerly awaited it, partially because nothing could have lived up to the original movies, partially, particularly after so many years away, but mainly because it simply wasn't all that compelling on its own merits. Telling Anakin Skywalker's story wasn't an inherently bad idea, but a slow-moving plot, inconsistent acting, and heaps of CGI left critic- critics and audiences wondering whether Lucas should have left well enough alone. It's, and then they quote a article from or a review from the New York Observer, which says, "Mr. Lucas is not without a certain technocratic sagacity." That's a word I've not seen used in that context. Um, but I don't think he's communicating even with the young as astutely as he once did. Which, yeah, 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 I could see that. I mean, he, this guy made American Graffiti. Yeah, a very kind of in touch in tune with the youth of the time movie the youth hello the you youth. fellow kids <laughs> uh but yeah i mean I, I think part of it it was it was i mean we could talk about this forever but I, yeah to quickly talk about luke <laughs> he, i know where you're going he had yes men around him yes he, he was captivated by the technology at the time stuff that he wished he had during the original series and he's like i have these new toys and i'm gonna play with them yeah that, that was basically it. Yeah. And I'm like, 
I'm just thinking about how we're kind of seeing that now with another creator of a franchise who yeah. is surrounded by yes men and will defend a horrible person being cast in their franchise because but that's for another day. We'll save that yeah. for the Harry Potter retrospective. <laughs> or it's for whenever coming. or for whenever we talk about the crimes of Grindelwald. God, that's a, ugh, it just sounds weird saying that. I don't like it saying is. that. I don't it's like It's a very meta title. It's so meta. I'm like did, who which tone deaf person made that title and decided yes, this is the way to go. It was JK. Probably. Probably. She wrote the screenplay. Oh, um, but I, I don't want to talk shit it. about her too much because I want her to hire me. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> or have her bequeath, like, the rights to Harry Potter to someone else and then have you <laughs> come in and write the Potter comics that you Yes, want. or anything. Yes. But, but yeah, it it is definitely kind of the first instance of Lucas sort of not really having a grasp on things i don't know i think it, it is kind of what you said of like i have all these resources and toys and all of this like high expectations from all these people and then it doesn't really translate well on screen which speaking of not translating well on screen the seventh rated star wars movie which has the most iconic for all the wrong reasons fight sequence god it still is burned into my brain which but, one because there's so many just the blue screen we're all waving our lightsabers around at nothing i i will always i forget the producer's name but there's like a behind the scenes video where he's talking about that scene and he's like there's so much going on it's so dense and packed with actions like that doesn't make a good movie it does, it's ridiculous well you also need to have like actual fight choreography and like showing the fight scene i think and, and not, not just waving around your glowy stick in a massive wide shot that then when when you put everything together in post it just looks like it's so obviously fake see I'm i remember not, yeah. so we're talking about attack of the clones yes if you could it's not somehow come. rated fresh at 66 percent. but that's just the rotten tomatoes metrics though it's like if yeah. it's if it's like over 60 then it's technically fresh i think so you know i got it i got like a d or an f in math once and by <laughs> that i should have passed by rt standards <laughs> Yeah, don't get me started on American school standards and how Britain does it better. But anyway, any student, yeah, yeah. Uh, so attack, like, so coming off of Phantom Menace, everyone's. I, I think everyone kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt. It's like, all right, you know, the first one was shaky. This is going to be the good one. It's going to be the empire of this trilogy. <laughs> it's going to get better. And they, they it, it, it got better by eleven percent. But it did. That, but not by. Uh, much well and it's also like having three years difference between the two i'm sure only made it less helpful because i think we've kind of talked about this in the past but it's like 2000 like in 2001 or early 2002 you had toby mcguire's spider-man movie and you had kind of like these other franchises sort of coming to fruition and sort of proving that they could do this high concept stuff in a way yeah. that was like extravagant but like you you had like the matrix and stuff like that where it's like this huge like cgi orgy of stuff that's going on but it still is able to kind of balance that with other stuff and but those were uh, had good acting and writing with them too good point <laughs> <laughs> like, but, like yeah okay so natalie yeah. portman is a good actress but but George Lucas is not a good acting actor's director. Uh-huh. And that's a big part of the problem. He was like an armchair director. 
Yeah. Well, I'm like, I, like I don't know. I love Padme just like as a concept. As a, yeah. I love her as a character. She's her portrayal is not necessarily perfect, but I kind of like love what she represents. Same. But yeah, it's like the the translation of that didn't as necessarily go the way that they wanted it to. But so for the Rotten Tomatoes page, like we said, it has a sixty six percent rating, technically passing, um, but just so barely. just barely. Um, but so then it, the average rating is six point seven out of ten. The reviews counted are two forty five. There's one hundred and sixty one fresh reviews and eighty four rotten. The critical consensus is Attack of the Clones benefits from an increased emphasis on thrilling action, although they're once again undercut by ponderous plot points and underdeveloped characters. Mm. I yeah. mean, at least we're not spending hours on trade agreements and stupid political treatises. And uh, I remember Doug Benson, like years ago on Doug Loves Movies, perfectly summed up the prequel trilogy. He said it was like watching C-SPAN with monster masks on. <laughs> like you're just watching people debate Senate stuff. And it's like, yeah. okay, cool. That is I think a valid that part the star wars universe but do we really need that to dictate so much of this movie i think another director could have handled that and made it much more interesting but it didn't happen no not at all <clears throat> but yeah I, just... I mean it's more or less the same as you know phantom menace yeah was, i think a lot of fans trying to convince themselves that it was good and, and kind of it's like oh the spectacle all the fight scenes and the, the clone wars we finally know what the clone wars are <laughs> and it was more kind of disillusionment amongst the fandom. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it did spawn off a lot of good stuff, like the Clone Wars show, a whole Definitely, bunch of EU yeah. stuff. All so the some... Obi Wan gifts. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> Just him in the pod, in the like the speeder dancing. dancing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so good. But yeah. Um... I don't know. Do you have any then, other thoughts on Attack of the Clones before I kind of read the blurb about it? I, I mean, not particularly. I mean, it's more or less the same as uh, Phantom Menace. I mean, yeah. it says it, it, it's, it isn't without its charms. This installment marks a spot where the prequel trilogy's narrative arc really starts to gather speed, which is true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the sequel is usually where things get to pick up because everything's already established. Well, it's either either things pick up or they falter. Like, it totally is a hit or miss thing with sequels, honestly. It's like, I mean, I think it kind of depends. But in Star Wars's case, it does kind of pick up, which is kind of an interesting thing going into The Last Jedi and seeing, like, okay, how is everything going to yeah. pick up? And, like, what way is that going to kind of manifest and stuff? So, it's a, yeah. It goes the scale of the enterprise is thrilling, and also that there's some cool set pieces, which <laughs> I find I don't think that would be the case now if this movie came out. It's like this is overly CGI. Yeah. Well, and then it says there's a poignant undertone that comes from knowing that most of your main characters are about to meet a violent end, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of true. It's like it's it a is. unique position, sort of, to be like, yeah, we're making this trilogy, but you already know how it ends. Like that's not, I don't know. 
you kind of you don't even really have that with like the franchises that are out now because like going back no. to fantastic beasts it's like it's set so monumentally far from the events of harry potter that like yeah dumbledore's in it and grindelwald we know gets defeated in one way or another but it's like there's such a gap between the two whereas with it like with the prequel trilogy it's so obviously like you know how this ends obi-wan goes into hiding and anakin becomes vader and so on and so forth yeah it's not about the the destination it's about the journey <laughs> i know but it is there's just <laughs> this weird sort of cloud over the fact of like knowing the destination sort of yes yeah kind of dovetails into the number six rated yes. which it's, it's certified it progressively prep. gets higher yes much higher than i had expected well, and we also uh, can talk about when we talk about the fifth rated movie, we can talk about the fact that there's a 1% difference yes, between the two. Which but... is insane. Yeah. So we're talking about, to round out the prequel trilogy, we're talking about episode three, Revenge of the Sith. Um, it's certified fresh at 79%. And just like let that wash over you. Yeah. Um, uh, it's just so. I don't know. The, there's like there's a valid point in this blurb about it because it says simply by by virtue of the fact that the prequel trilogy's third chapter finds Anakin turning to the dark side and embracing his destiny as Vader, which is a transition that Star Wars fans have been waiting to witness for decades. Revenge of the Sith faces less of an uphill climb with audiences than either of its predecessors. Which is true, okay? Because the previous two set the bar low. True. So when you when you have this and you get to see vader be born yeah it's kind of an awesome moment yeah it's not yeah. a perfect moment but it's still an compared awesome to what we had before immediately yeah. before this definitely uh, yeah it's a brilliant consummation to a promise made a long time ago <laughs> uh, which is kind of true yeah yeah i mean it's, it's something that the original fans have been waiting for wanting to see like how did he get to this point and seeing baby luke and leia yes that like yeah that that part that's that's one of the things that i love about this movie is it's like it kind of sets that in motion sort of and just kind of having it be where it's like you see luke and leia be born and then you see I, like all of this I history was, throughout I their do whole life love, like the, the final shots of this movie though yes it, it gets yeah. me yes i completely agree but uh, yeah, so the average rating is 7.3 out of 10. There's 286 reviews, 226 fresh, and 60 rotten. That's a like surprising. Yeah, that is. It says George Lucas brings his second Star Wars trilogy to a suitably thrilling and often poignant, if still a bit uneven, conclusion. So yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, because it's weird because we knew all this like everything about the original series and it's almost like he wrote himself to into, into a corner where it's like oh i gotta yeah. hit these points i have to make these logical and somewhat illogical steps to get from a to b yes absolutely um, yeah but it, this is the most entertaining out of the prequels <laughs> if only in like the absolutely ridiculous moments of it <laughs> like yes there, which there okay so quick quick yeah. sidebar yeah um so i was at a bookstore the other day okay and there was the novelization of the prequels. Okay. Like, all right, I'll flip through it. I'll read it. I think I have those, actually. And so I, I am upset 
with this novelization, official novelization <laughs> of the Revenge of the Sith, because there is erasure of an iconic line <laughs> in this novelization. I flipped through it front to back just to make sure it was still in there, but it was not. Oh God! So it is the iconic duel between Anakin and Obi Wan. Yes. And Anakin says in the movie, "Don't try it. I have the high ground." <laughs> they cut that line from the novelization and i'm That's so stupid. goddamn pissed about it they changed it i could go on a whole like i could do a whole study just about novelizations for things like especially like the the junior grade novelizations because i remember there's such a weird thing because like the novelization for guardians like guardians 2 came out a month before the movie did mm -hmm. and like the same with the one for spider-man homecoming and i remember flipping through the one for homecoming and it's so abridged that it like does not give away spoilers. But then at huh. the same time, it's like, if you're, I don't know, if you're trying to read this, you're missing like two thirds of the movie, which yeah. I guess the mindset is like, you're a kid who's already seen the movie and then you're going to read the book and you already can see the movie in your head. But it still is like, why are you cutting that out? <laughs> like, why is this such an abridged version? But yeah, the high ground thing just makes me think of that Battlefront meme that I sent you. <laughs> <laughs> it's over Anakin I've paid for the high ground, the ground. The yeah high this, ground is mine. this movie has like really iconic lines that are like unintentionally iconic and I mean the whole pre prequel trilogy kind of does like the it's sand like, like <laughs> meme culture has embraced it yes <laughs> shout out to our slash prequel memes thank you for existing yes. you make my life so much better but yeah it is like a meme culture sort of thing and like if anything that kind of makes you see sort of the bright spots in the trilogy and like you you accept the fact that it's not perfect but then you can still kind of embrace the things that that it's do embraced work. in this weird way exactly yeah like that in a way that i don't know if internet culture as it exists today would have embraced it 12 years ago dear god no that's the thing this would have totally been like a i don't know it would have been a Justice League situation where it would have it would have been the same sort of thing that we said with Phantom Menace, where it's like there'd be the the segments of people kind of going to war over what was right. And I'm sure when these movies came out, like message boards were a thing, and that obviously was yeah. a discussion that still was being had, but it wasn't being had as like a national conversation, sort of. But it's the weird, these it movies now. still made a crap ton of money. Exactly. So yeah. from a studio perspective, it's like why change? We're or doing okay even if these aren't immediately received well but it almost it like i said it does make me wonder if rotten tomatoes did exist when the prequel trilogy came out would that have affected the trajectory of the prequel trilogy because like having that numeric kind of sum of how people are how people are responding to it mm -hmm. would have been kind of a different thing than oh we're kind of making these movies in somewhat of an echo chamber like they yeah, knew what I, the I fan response was but it if, wasn't like affecting them negatively yeah because i don't remember what if there were review embargoes or what the culture was like for that like, exactly did, did they yeah. hold them off till before it was released did they come out a week or two before yeah like, it was a whole different culture of review and criticism yeah well, and it's interesting. People always bitch about review embargoes, but it's like even the one for The Last Jedi is like Saturday, I think. Yeah. So it's like even it's 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 a normal thing. Like it's it's totally a normal thing to have it be like the week before 
or like days like there, before or whatever. There are many reasons like, yeah. why they hold off to the last minute, either because the movie sucks or they just don't want spoilers or preconceived notions about the movie. Yeah. So like yeah. I can kind of I can see that from a Star Wars scale. Like they know this movie's gonna be well received, but I think they kind of with The Last Jedi, I think they know like review culture. And I don't think I don't think they want it to be where it's like here's all these negative reviews that are at your fingertips that can kind of cloud your judgment as you go into yeah. it. So because it's all part of the the Disney machine yeah. now. Which, which <laughs> <laughs> we okay when when that thing happens because i'm pretty confident it's that not it gonna happening. happen nope la, I, la, 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 la. I i'm not confident in an optimistic way but i'm confident that it is going to happen when it happens we are recording our own mini so just about that because yeah, I there's, <laughs> there's enough to talk about there too and enough of the like media landscape that will be shaped by that that we are going to do our own mini-sode and it will give you yeah. an opportunity to rant like crazy because I know you yes. want to do that I <laughs> so. have so many thoughts well even like a quick one yeah. here because uh, this this wasn't part of the culture back when the prequels came out even the yeah. original series how Disney is holding movie chains movie theaters by the neck and the yeah. angles and shaking them down um i mean i'm not gonna like go too much into it but like they're forcing theaters to have a certain amount of showings for a certain amount of weeks on the biggest screens in their theaters they're demanding 65 percent of the profits so theaters chains I... get cut out of profits yeah. and then if they don't abide by these rules then star wars gets pulled and they get penalized for it they get i think 20 percent of concession stands from uh last jedi ticket sales so I, I i don't understand why disney the big mega corporate uh, <laughs> thing that is is strangleholding these theater chains and demanding so many profits i think uh, I, I think that the 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 one instance that you're really talking about was kind of resolved but it is still kind of an interesting thing i think it's a thing that disney kind of consistently does but i think it's just more public and more there's like might be higher numbers behind it with this instance because it's star wars and because it like word kind of got out about it but i'm sure if you looked for like all the marvel movies and for like beauty and the beast and all other stuff that they knew was going to be like the movie of that period yeah. of time that, i'm sure the they did the same thing yeah the pessimist to me says it's because they want to have those record-breaking numbers so yes. they're going to force them they're going to <laughs> when they artificially would them, create they them. Would get them anyway like there's no there's i am sorry but like word oh of no yeah yeah, like they they would get the the record breaking numbers regardless. Yeah, no, I like I I I don't disagree with that, but it's the yeah. fact that Disney is forcing theaters' hands. Yeah, that rubs me the wrong way. I I get that. I completely get that. It's I think it's just a more it's like a complicated thing, and I think even we as the public don't know every side to it. Yeah. So it's kind of just like a weird discussion to be having. There's definitely like validity in credit in like criticizing Disney on that regard, but I don't know like what the what the end game of either side of that argument really is. But yeah. So um, it totally sounds like lightsaber sounds where you are. That is a helicopter, nice. I think, or some sort of plane. No, it just sounds like you were like, wah, <laughs> like, let me wave my lightsaber <laughs> around. But, yeah, so do we want to go to the fifth movie? Yes, so, so 
Yeah. As we mentioned, this movie has a 1% difference from Revenge of the Sith. Released so, in 1983. Return of the Jedi. So, it this is kind of i mean i'm in a way with the with the original trilogy so heavily predating rotten tomatoes and having a lot of the reviews on like on rotten tomatoes be the more recent ones i'm still kind of shocked that return of the jedi has this rating like i don't know yeah in terms of the original series it's the the least favorite i think amongst like the general star wars fandom but like, yeah, I and I, I get that to an extent, but I also think I also just I enjoy Return of the Jedi so much. Almost like I enjoy all of them, but there's like Return of the Jedi is just like fun and yeah. something that I always kind of appreciate on this weird level. And I think part of that is totally the Ewoks and like <laughs> the, the dance party at the end and just like the, the kind of the silliness of it. But yeah. I, can, I can kind of understand how this, in, in terms of comparing it to the other two, it's kind of like a sillier ending in a way. Yeah, which I can understand from the fan perspective if you come off the, the darker brooding empire. Yeah. And, and like Ewoks. having the gigantic um, cliffhanger of like Empire and all of that, and then kind of going into this, yeah, I can kind of understand that. But so the critical consensus is, though it fails to reach the cinematic heights of his predecessors, Return of the Jedi remains an entertaining sci-fi adventure and a fitting end to a classic trilogy. And so the tomato meter rating is at eighty percent, certified fresh. There's only eighty-six reviews counted amongst it which like i said that kind of goes into the thing yeah. of the reviews that are on here are way more um current because like looking at them now they're all written from 2015 like like days before force awakens came out and so i think that's kind of interesting but then you look at the audience score which we haven't really touched on with the other movies on this yeah. list they're about the same but the the tomato meter is at 80 percent, and the audience score is 94 percent with over a million user ratings which yeah, that's a I, lot. I do think kind of speaks to the difference there I don't know like I think that it totally if if it, again it, with the prequel trilogy with this movie if you looked at the reviews that were published in newspapers and magazines the day that the, the, this movie came out and like aggregated all of that together it would be a higher rating yes I I agree um I just, I would really like to get into the mindset of someone in, in 1983 going into this movie and like, did they really expect it to blow them away like Empire <laughs> or did they have lower expectations? It was such a different culture then. Yeah. Well, cause like. And like, I, I'd be curious to read reviews from then too mm-hmm. and how they kind of like i want to show this to someone who has never seen star wars before and get mm-hmm. their take on it mm-hmm. yeah absolutely because it i feel like if you if you just presented this as its own movie and not as the third act of a trilogy i feel like the the consensus would be completely different than what it is with empire and with a new hope kind of built upon that so yeah it the the blurb kind of about it in this article says um george lucas dropped one of the all-time greatest cliffhangers with empire and then he made fans wait three whole years to find how how find out how it all ended and then he gave them ewoks for their trouble (laughs) Um, 
it says that's the revisionist take on Return of the Jedi, but cuddly merchandising bonanzas aside, which we could talk about that in a whole way now, um, this isn't quite the redheaded Star Wars stepchild it has been made out to be over the last couple of decades. It definitely has its flaws. Boba Fett's undignified death among them. Oh, God, Boba Fett. Boba um, Fett is a pointless character in the Boba movies. Boba Fett is like so useless. He is the male Mary Sue of the Star Wars franchise. He doesn't <laughs> contribute anything. People just project their own feelings onto Boba Fett and don't actually think about like whether or not he's an interesting character because he I do not, not think he is. And he I looks also, cool and that's about it. There's there's also like industry talk right now that basically Lucasfilm has scrapped the Boba Fett movie because it's like there's no updates about it. There's no anything yeah. about it. So they're kind of thinking that like the, the, the trajectory that they're going in might not involve that movie at all, which I'm like, thank God I do not yeah. need that movie to exist. So yeah, it like the 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 blurb kind of says this boasts an old-fashioned epic sweep plenty of thrilling action and a couple of nifty twists on its way to the empire busting conclusion that's three massive blockbusters in the making at the end of it all after the three movies we've taken an epic fantasy journey wrote roger ebert lucas has in common with all great storytellers the ability to create a complete world which that's kind of my mindset with this movie is like he wraps sure, the whole trilogy in a nice little bow. Yeah, it's like it's not the it's not the most impactful of the original movies, but it still is like it's it a good you way feeling of happy. And yes, exactly. And then debating about which version of Anakin you want to see as the Force Ghost at the end. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's. But before Anakin was a Force Ghost, he yes. was a force to be reckoned with that was a really good transition there in star wars story rogue one okay you totally butchered the title yeah which is number four uh and 85 percent on the tomato meter which i feel like this is this this movie is kind of the biggest indication of how star wars works in modern review culture because like obviously force awakens was released when um rotten tomatoes existed but at the like this having this sort of pave new ground in a way and kind of go in a separate direction and not and be a standalone movie and not be a part of a trilogy i think the the audience response to this is kind of the most telling in terms of like how individual star wars movies have been this this movie had a lot going for and against it exactly yeah set in the original trilogy era having a diverse cast new director um (laughs) whole new solo story free to mostly do whatever the going against it is it is a solo story set in the original era (laughs) it has all these expectations yeah it has all Um, these people where it's like don't touch the original era or whatever kind of there was some like behind the scenes drama with reshooting and stuff which like in retrospect feels so tame like it's so It. Oh, I wish that the level of controversy that surrounded Rogue One's reshoots was what we still had, instead of what we have now. With now, like, it's there's just a growing list of major movies where it's now reshoots or director changes or whatever. Because like the there were rumors that Gareth Edwards was kind of being sort of his hand was sort of being forced by Lucasfilm in, yes. during the reshoots and stuff. That Which didn't we really... kind of see again with the yeah. next anthology movie 
Yes, but it was kind of interesting because I do think, I mean, like, I remember seeing the trailers for Rogue One and then having the actual movie, and I'm like, where did that shot go from the trailers, and where did this thing go, and whatever, and there were obviously changes that were made during the reshoots. I still think it the end result was a really good movie. I yes. have, like, a profound fondness for this movie, and a large part is the d- diverse cast that it kind of gives, because, like, the... The expanded universe material is so varied and so there's so much going on with it. And then even like the animated series that follow different characters and whatever, they're like, they they kind of give people other characters to latch onto, but never in like as big of a scale as this movie did. Where it's like, hey, there's other characters besides the Skywalkers. And you can kind of like have a whole fandom around them. Yeah, it expanded the universe. And it, it it does things that I didn't expect them to do. Uh-huh. Like kill off everyone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's like this little snippet of the review says, it's daring. Yeah, exactly. It's ambitious. It 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 brings in a lot of new elements into the Star Wars universe, but it seems seamless. Yeah, exactly. Like none of it feels shoehorned or out of place or like they're taking this leap that shouldn't really be taken. Instead, it kind of, it feels like, it it feels like this natural sort of portion sort of for it to go into. Yeah. And as NPR's Chris Klimek says, uh, a tense, well-made space fighting war movie about a desperate uh, and demoralized band of insurgents standing up against a rising authoritarian regime. Which, um, like, the the political <laughs> resemblance of this movie yeah. was very... I remember, like, almost starting to cry seeing this movie for the first time because I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a woman and a bunch of POCs fighting against a authoritarian regime. And that feels really culturally relevant right now. Yes. And it still is almost more so, but it's like... like it's almost like... <laughs> I don't know if they it's always intended like, for it's that. It's like life imitates art, but yeah, yeah it, I know it, it was kind of a thing because this movie was in development for so long that I don't think that was their intention. It just happened to be. And I, I like, think that's kind of like part of the brilliance of it. It has like yeah. this timeless factor. And it's like, oh yeah, this, even though it's set in the original trilogy area, you can, there's analogies in those movies to like the Nazis and everything. And that kind of, uh, authoritarian regime and now we have this whole different kind of regime yeah well it's kind of I mean like I honestly don't think that was their intention because I do remember like I think Force Awakens had not even really come out yet and we had gotten like the first look photo for Rogue One and whatever so it was like there was this movie was made predating kind of the Trump era and predating mm-hmm. all of the mess that we have now. And I think like it like like we said, it is kind of this timeless quality, but it also was kind of really relevant in a way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. When you like, yeah. <laughs> I, I had two separate thoughts kind of based on our conversation before. Um there was some Twitter thread. I can't remember who wrote it and I'm really annoyed that I can't, but it was some either comic writer or comedian or whatever who like watched from like one, two, three, Rogue One, four, five, six, seven, and mm-hmm. live tweeted the whole thing and then kept making these jokes about like, oh, this character, this new character that they introduced is really cool. And now they're dead. And like, <laughs> like kind of 
and then like like latching onto plot points that only really work for like a movie and a half and then they don't really exist or whatever yep. and so it was kind of a funny thing like when you when you do lay this out in a chronological order it's kind of hilarious but but then that and then also when you said the thing about like oh it's so risky that they killed everyone off i still totally do think that that was a reshoot thing because oh it definitely was cuz Tatiana Maslany should have been Jen Urso, but they yeah. picked Felicity Jones because she looked <laughs> like Ray. And that's still my theory, and not that Kathleen Kennedy has to insert OCs into every movie, but like, there's no reason why you pick her and not, because that was the theory for so long, was that like, oh, she's going to survive and that'll be like Ray's mom and that'll go yeah. from there. But instead it was like, oh, so we cast this girl that looks exactly like Daisy Ridley and then we just killed her off anyway. <laughs> and I'm like, why couldn't it have been Tatiana? I'm still so bitter because it well, could, could that could still be your 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 head canon until proven wrong. Yes. <laughs> until yeah. proven wrong in a week. <laughs> like yeah. or or not. I have no idea. They're so like in they're so vague about whether or not her parentage will actually factor into this movie or not. But yeah, it I don't know. I just and then yeah, because yeah, like speaking about possible parentage and everything, the next movie yes. number three, yes, New Hope, or yeah. as it originally called, which is Star Wars. Star Wars. Sorry, OG fans. <laughs> You're like sorry. I'm gonna be very like <laughs> I'm gonna be very accurate with this, but yeah. So a New and Hope. It's... Certified 93%. Fresh, 93. That's, but still, like I said, this is kind of an example. Well, of, actually, let's, let's tackle yeah. two because I oh, feel yeah. like these parallel a lot and it's yeah. basically, they're mirror yes, images exactly. of each other. Two, they're two tight. people's chagrin. <laughs> yeah. They're tight at 93%. At oh, yeah. Yeah. Three and two. So let's just, they're both basically the same movie. Yeah. Which I have no problem with, but a lot of people do. Yeah. New Hope and Force, Force Awakens. Awakens. Yes. It's, you uh -huh. have, a ragtag yeah. team of millennials uh, <laughs> fighting a, a big Nazi force in space, and they're chasing giant, a robot. They're giant orb-shaped, um, like fighter thing. But yeah, it, I, I have no problem with them mirroring each other. Critics no, did. There's so there's like a there's a gift set on Tumblr that I always think about when people bitch about these movies being the same, and it's like it's paralleling A New Hope to Force Awakens, and it says something along the lines of like history doesn't always repeat itself, but sometimes it rhymes. Because yes. it's like, there are enough differences in The Force Awakens to truly make it its own thing, but the callback to A New Hope is not a bad thing. And I feel like having people be so burnt out from the prequels totally justified them kind of playing up the nostalgia factor. Like, it works on multiple levels. It exactly. hits the nostalgia, it mirrors, it rhymes, it connects itself to the original trilogy, which people wanted to get back to that kind yeah. of movie that storytelling that tone and exactly. it, it, it's yeah. like an easy um i don't want to say cheap way to get those fans who are lost with the prequels back in but it, it also kind of is like it's an effective way it is. of doing it and i also think it's a testament to jj abrams which like i i i I'm so I, I like JJ Abrams. He does not perfectly nail everything that he puts his hands on. There are things that he's done that I was not necessarily happy with, but he still is good at being a storyteller. And I think yes. that after the response to him kind of making Star Trek 90210, basically. <laughs> 
like kind of making like hot young Star Trek and kind of this revision. Hashtag my Star Trek. Well, it, but like, and I, I like that Star Trek and I like the original Star Trek. I think they both exist really well on their own. And I think that the new, the new one was my introduction into the whole world of Star Trek and into like a lot of geek culture just in general. But so I think from him kind of taking a risk with that and especially taking one with Into Darkness and having people not necessarily respond well to like a whitewashed version of Khan and all of this weird doom and gloom sort of bullshit. I yeah. think going from that to kind of, okay, I'm going to do Star Wars and I'm going to play into what I know people want from this franchise as opposed to kind of revising it and making it this direction that people might not necessarily want. Yeah, and and... J.J. Abrams is a big enough fan of those movies. Yeah. And when they announced him, it's like, I completely trust you with yeah. this. Because he always was more of a Star Wars fan than a Trek fan. Yeah. You could definitely tell that with Star Trek, his movie from yeah. 2009. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's weird to see kind of how in the last couple of years, how a majority of the Star Wars fandom has turned on Force Awakens. Uh-huh. I know. Kind of, it's it's a very weird thing, but I I feel like that's more with older fans. Yeah. Where you have us millennials and even younger people, like this was their first Star Wars they got to see in theaters. Exactly. They're exactly. going to yeah. love this as much as their parents and grandparents did in what at 79, right? 78. Yeah. 77. 77. You're, you're um, just getting all the years wrong. <laughs> all of them. All of them. But it's gonna have that same effect. Yeah. Like if if you're like a 10 year old kid going to see this movie you're going to love the shit out of it yeah and like you're gonna yeah you're gonna see yourself on that screen the way that the generations before you kind of did with the original trilogy and, and you this can, is, yeah this is yeah. gonna be their star wars and like you can, you can still they still will have this sort of significance about the original trilogy but it is kind of the generational sort of aspect of it and i think that i, I do yeah. think that is kind of a fascinating thing and i think that it's kind of the way to go with this franchise. I'm very curious how Ryan Johnson's own trilogy is going to fit. And like, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm disappointed it's not Old Republic. But, I know, I know. Uh, I think it might have influences of that. While also, I don't know, I because that totally feels like the kind of story that he could and should adapt. But yeah. I'm very, I'm very curious in an optimistic way of like what is he going to do and where will it fall in the canon and like how disconnected will it be and will I think it be he's, set, like, i think in some way he's still figuring that out too yeah definitely like i think <laughs> i think that disney kind of jumped the gun and was like hey we're doing this <laughs> like, they announced that during it's, the conference call and everyone was like wait what because it's like they announced that and the star wars tv series in like a yeah. one-two punch and i they was working i was working during that conference call and everyone it was like just everyone was just just on fire basically we're like what is going on yeah i think but it, it does speak to the last jedi and it gives me a lot of hope for the last jedi because they would not trust ryan johnson to basically be like lucas 2.0 yeah. if he didn't do a really good job if with he did not get like this could beat empire mm -hmm. i i really think like i can already hear neckbeards saying it's not going to be better <laughs> than empire yeah. but just going with an open mind. Yeah. Just have an open mind. Just, yes. just, yeah. And take and, it in, <laughs> watch it, and, and, and just 
judge it on its own merits <laughs> and on its porks <laughs> yeah yeah porks <laughs> but did did you just sound negative about porks what <laughs> so the next move <laughs> <laughs> i'm like are you john boyegaing me now <laughs> like come on but but yeah so both of these like new hope and force awakens are tied at 93% and i think that the the critical consensus for force awakens is kind of an interesting thing it says it's packed with action and populated by both familiar faces and fresh blood. It successfully recalls the series' former glory while injecting it with renewed energy, which is exactly what we were saying kind of yeah. about it before. And I it's do think, what it needed after yeah. the prequels. Yeah. And the audience score for both of them, I think, is kind of interesting because it kind of speaks to what you said about Neckbeard's kind of changing their perception on it. Because the, the audience score for Force Awakens is 89%, while the audience score for A New Hope is 96%. Yeah. And so it kind of speaks to that. And, and I think part of it is now with the OG series and yeah. the prequel, it was like, that's all they had. Yeah. So we're just going to take what we can get. But now with it being part of the big Disney corporate machine that owns the world. <laughs> um, we will never have a year without Star Wars. I know. We will. For, be for better or for worse, we, we will, will always have something <laughs> next. We will not have to wait. The Star I Wars franchise will outlive, like, our generation. Because yeah. think of Force Awakens and Last or, or uh, Revenge of the Sith had yeah. 10 years in between them. That's yeah. a lot of time for fans to kind of forget about the prequels. Yeah. Still stew on them, hate them, and to have, have like animated and to have animated series kind of be the only thing that and like the EU novels kind of being the only thing that kept people going in those. So years. yeah, so then of course out of the gate, people are going to love Force Awakens, but with time, neckbeards in particular, <laughs> kind of like oh no, this is this is stupid. This is not for me. Um, but hopefully, Last Jedi turns them around. Not that I yeah. care about their opinion. I, um, yeah, I don't care about their opinion. I know I'm going to, I'm probably going to love The Last Jedi anyway. We're going to talk about it on the show. So you will hear all of our thoughts, but it's like, yeah, I'm, I think, and like I said, it's a, it's a public perception thing. I think that the, when, when A New Hope was the only thing that people had, there was, there had to be a completely different mindset than what we have now. Because it's like, even the people who bitch about Force Awakens, it's like, okay, you can go watch the originals as much as you want. They're still like, there. No one's forcing you to watch The Force Awakens if you don't no want. No one. Exactly. So it's like, but yeah. So, so as we paralleled Last Jedi uh, with Empire Strikes Back, that brings us to the number one, The Empire Strikes Back, 1980. Yes. 94%. Just edging out by a percent. Yeah. Which I think is a testament to The Force Awakens, the fact that it, like, was the was the thing out of the gate and it still was in, like, 1% difference with, like, the best Star Wars movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. And Granted, we, we've said repeatedly on this podcast, don't put too much stock in the numbers, but it's just an interesting no. and I think, uh, yeah. analysis to see how the disparity between the original, or not the original, but the prequels, how it's, like... 10 percent points uh, between each one and these are just neck and neck kind yeah. of yeah yeah so yeah empire strikes back is number one unsurprisingly um 94 percent 
But then this is kind of the thing I was talking about. There aren't as many reviews about the original trilogy on Rotten Tomatoes because there are 89 reviews for Empire and 84 are fresh and five are rotten. But I feel like if you did some deep digging, which Rotten Tomatoes could be doing instead of uploading current people's reviews up with <laughs> and labeling them wrong, um, if you did really deep digging and tried to find like reviews from the time that A New Hope or Empire came back, I would be very curious what those numbers numbers would be because i don't think they would be the same no so yeah it's such a weird thing with critics today and i'm gonna specifically cite the superhero genre of movies that (laughs) critics demanded that they be funny but other genres of movies are not held to that standard where empire there's humor in it yeah but it is it is darker yeah and takes the original star wars to grittier places i don't know how that would be received today but again we'll find out next week with yeah, last we, jedi we will absolutely find out next week i think i will be sh- i will be interested to see how it mirrors empire and if people respond to that negatively or positively and also kind of what new risks it takes I, see i will not be surprised if there are a lot of negative reviews simply for the fact that it, it, it or, tries original, something new no for the fact that original fans who are reviewing yeah. this movie do not want to see these characters that they grew up with tarnished uh-huh. or ruined yeah and they will hold that against it when it should be praised for trying new things creatively yeah that makes fans uncomfortable a little bit in in not a weird way but you like you it'll be i don't you know you can't treat it like a pristine doll figure in your box and keep it on your shelf no rough it up a bit well and my thing is like everyone so luke was such an enigma in the force awakens of like what's luke up to and then you get like the little glimpses of what his life kind of was and you're like oh shit luke skywalker's been through some stuff and this is really dark and awesome and this is so great and then it's like you're actually going to see that kind of manifest in the last Mm -hmm. jedi and i know that there are going to be people who bitch about that yeah. Where it's like, how dare he be dark? How dare he have gone through some stuff? How dare he have pain and whatever? And it's like, that's what you wanted. Like, you can't backtrack yeah. on what you wanted. You can't, like, the Luke Skywalker that is going to be in The Last Jedi is not any Luke Skywalker that we've really seen before. And that's going to be okay. That's how. But I really think that speaks to, like, this character's arc. I mean, we saw yeah. him as a happy go lucky farm boy. Yeah who wanted to be this rebel and now he's like i'm done yeah he's like i'm gonna go hide on an island because everything sucks and i fucked up so i I, there's no other film series that can do something like this where his arc is literally generations exactly well and like i think we're gonna go into it when i actually see the last jedi and we're gonna go into it when like when I've actually, I don't know, when we talk about it on there, but the fact that, and I've, I've known this for six months, I hate all the think pieces that try to counteract this, but like John Boyega and Ryan Johnson have both said that Leia does not die in The Last Jedi, yeah. which I think also kind of sums up the generational thing. And obviously they weren't able to do what they wanted to do with episode nine, where she was, it, that was going to kind of be like her movie. But I think I'm very curious how her arc is going to go and how people respond to that, because the fact that she kind of is kept alive at the end of the movie is, I'm, I'm very curious how that's going to be received. And I'm curious, like what, what she's still going to go through over the course of the movie and stuff and how her, 
kind of arc is going to go and whatever, given the circumstances surrounding that. Whereas like with Luke Skywalker, we still have all of episode nine to kind of go into stuff with him. So I'm very kind of curious, but optimistic as to how all of that's going to go. Same because it's, it's Ryan Johnson. Yeah. Why did I have full faith and trust yeah absolutely his capability yeah to handle it correctly yeah uh, i'm glad that he who must not be named is not involved anymore <laughs> uh oh god yeah oh god i totally forgot yeah yeah yeah, Trevor was, yeah. Uh, we will see how his filmography is actually working and if he still can succeed as a person in one day when that jurassic world trailer comes out but yeah it oh, i'm so glad he's gone but yeah God. i have a feeling that just these little glimpses of the empire strikes back review we could in a week or two replace empire strikes back <laughs> with last jedi and yeah. it'll read the same yeah. Bold new directions uh, subjecting his beloved characters to an array of uh, deprecations that include torture, imprisonment, dismemberment, and a stunning cliffhanger. <laughs> That's going to be The Last Jedi. I yes. guarantee fucking it. That's going to be reviews Absolutely. that we're going to get. Absolutely. It's sure, it's going to mirror Empire, but I think people would begrudge it if it didn't because you yeah. usually, the sequel is the darker one where you split the team up. You yeah. You kind of rough up your, your heroes a bit. Yeah. And I also, I, I don't know, I think it will definitely be dark, but I don't think it'll be depressingly so. I think Ryan Johnson kind of knew when they made this movie what kind of culture to an extent would be wanting to see this movie. And he's he said that he wants people to be hopeful when they're out of this movie. So I don't think it's going to be this gigantic... Well, I mean, even thinking about the end of Empire, it yeah. leaves you with a bit of hope at the end. Yeah, even as Han is frozen in carbonite and Luke's life has been changed completely and his arm is cut off, like even then there's still kind of hope to be brought out of that. And so I'm very curious to see how that's going to kind of resonate. So, we'll yeah. We'll find out in a week. Yes, we will. Absolutely. So um, where can people find you on social media should you wish to be found? Uh, at the Chris Vito. Awesome. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Hey, it's Jenna Lynn. And then you can find us on Twitter at Tomato Tomato Pod. We also have a Facebook page, which you can find on our Twitter account or just by searching Tomato Tomato on Facebook. We also have an email if you want to email us, say hi. I don't know. Give us maybe suggestions if you talk want. Talk about porgs, do whatever, <laughs> like <laughs> debate about whether or not Chewy eats a porg. He's definitely going to eat a porg. But He's going to eat a porg. <laughs> That new trailer that came out the other day, or the new promo that just shows Chewie on the Falcon with like eight forks around him, and he's just screaming. I'm like, God bless, because he's just so done. But yeah, it. I'm very. We're we're gonna get this out as soon as possible so that you can kind of listen to it before you go into Star Wars, since it's officially like Star Wars season. So, and then we will be back opening weekend of the Last Jedi to be able to talk about it, and we'll have an episode out there. So yeah. Um, is that it? Think? I think that's it. All right. Well, until next time, keep watching movies. I have the high ground. <laughs> I purchased the high ground. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bum 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 b
I'm going to podcast for 24 hours straight and like it's part like a fundraiser for charity and it's also part just him going insane and it's kind of great. <laughs> we'll do that. The charity is for my student loans. <laughs> charity is for porgs without borders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, now I want that to be a thing. My new charity, give porgs hats. Yes, that that tweet I sent you is so cute. The little it is. I know. I'm like, I want I want a porg with a hat now. Like, how, does por- how do porgs have hats but not Thanos? <laughs>